0: Hi, fantasy readers. This is Corinne Norton, your fellow book binger, and you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Today's story is an urban fantasy with two teenagers using portals on their hunt for what life has to offer. Kara Swanson writes stories about fairy tales and fiery souls. She spent her childhood a little like a lost girl, running barefoot through lush green jungles, which inspired her award-winning Peter Pan retellings, Dust and Shadow. She's also the co-founder of the Author Conservatory, where she has the honor of teaching young writers to craft sustainable author careers. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from Kara, as well as how to enter our holiday giveaway. For now, please enjoy Sea Glass by Kara Swanson. My feet pound into the cobblestones as I throw a hurried glance over my shoulder. The houses are sun-drenched and sand clings to porches and shingled roofs. The dark, wispy shapes a shade lighter than shadows, but far, far more dangerous. I turn a corner leading to the edge of a bluff overlooking the ocean. This path was created for enjoying the view and even as I run for my life, I can't help but take it in. The salty breeze in my hair, the sun gleaming across the teal ocean in its spray of whitewash, the flutter of wings and screeching of seagulls. It's all so alive, so vivid in this moment. I almost wish I could freeze time and truly admire the scene. But I have to keep running. Always running. I whip around the next corner, veering away from the ocean and turning down a side street. Trading cobblestones for asphalt, I force my aching legs to carry me uphill. The massive houses nestled against this bluff are high end, with sprawling porches and several stories. I used to look at houses like that and wonder if heaven is like them a place with more rooms than anybody could use and more food than a body could stomach. A warm bed. A mother to tuck you in. I shiver and push away the thought but a ghostly chill sneaks over my skin, reminding me of a time long ago and a little girl curled up in a dirty alley, starving. No roof. No mother. This is why I run. Because while I lay dying in that alley, a shimmering mirror appeared. It was the most beautiful thing my bloodshot eyes had ever seen. When I reached out to touch its glistening surface, a hand reached back. Then a man stepped through, tall and willowy, with hair just a shade darker than gray. Over the years, Ulrich became almost a father to me. He taught me what the mirror meant, shared the hope it brought of a new life. If I could only find it. If I could only keep running. And so I ran, until the years blended together, and nothing was left but this desperate knowledge throbbing through my veins. Don't slow down. Shaking my head to dislodge the distant memories, I glance back up at the houses rimming the cliff above this road. Someday, I'll be able to afford a house like that, fine and grand. That's my promise to the girl in that alley. She'll never starve again. The road bends, and as my Nikes take the curve in quick rhythm, I peek over my shoulder to see that I'm still being followed by ethereal beings gliding over the ground. I jog the last length around the bend and up the first driveway I see. Sidling around the villa, I duck into the shadowed alley beside the house. I suck in a breath, my burning calves thankful for the momentary break. I don't have much time. I'll have to make this fast. Shrugging the pack off my shoulder, I pry open the zipper and scrounge around inside. Come on, come on, where are you? My fingers close over something cool and metallic and smooth. Bingo. With gentle, measured movements, I lift the mirror from the bag, holding it out in front of me. The circular rim is made of woven threads of silver, and its reflective face is meticulously clean. The mirror is larger than most, about two feet tall and a foot wide. It has to be for what I need. My touch lingers for a moment, stayed once again by the curiosity to know what the mirror is made of, or how it is capable of what it does but those are questions that haven't been answered in the many years I've been on the run, and perhaps aren't meant to be. I bend over and have just set it down against the edge of the house when the sound of wheels crunching gravel catches my attention. The vibration is softer than a car's tires, and not as heavy. A bicycle? But the small form that rounds the back of the house is not riding a bicycle. A child with dimpled cheeks and a flower-patterned bandana tucked around her head sits in a wheelchair, her hands gliding the wheels forward. Her mouth drops. You? What are you doing here? I'm just on a walk. Her brows arch, eyes tracing my posture to settle on the mirror in my hand. That's pretty. Yes. Now I'm the one gaping. I stare at her becoming aware that there's no hair peeking out from beneath the bandana around her head. Cancer survivor? A lump churns in my chest as this little girl brings to mind another child battling a disease. Peyton. The younger sister of Dolan, my only friend and partner. The young man running this insane race with me, staying one step ahead of the creatures trailing us, and who is probably ridiculously worried that I haven't shown up yet. Shaking away the guilt that always rises when I think of Dolan's sister and how much more noble his reason for pursuing this treasure is, I glance at the mirror where it is still set safely at an angle against the house, then turn back to the little girl. Can you keep a secret? Her chin tips to the side. What kind of secret? When I'm gone, just wait a few minutes for the mirror to disappear too. Confusion twists her rosebud lips, but she shrugs. At the ragged echo of breath that suddenly tickles my back, I glance over my shoulder. The rancid, murky mist that always follows the race wafts around the corner of the house. They're here. Slipping my pack on, I wink at the little girl watching me through wide, blue eyes. Nice wheels, kid. Then I dive through the mirror. For a moment, an electric tug pulls at my body, but it releases its grasp, and I burst through the other side. Well, it's about time you got here, Melody. I look up from my crouched position on a cement floor, one hand already going for the knife strapped to my shin. I've landed in a square room with floor, walls, and roof made of cement. Dolan is a few feet ahead, glancing over his shoulder to send a sarcastic remark my way. His voice is low, words quick. Dolan has never been one to waste time on conversation. Took me a while to find a good place to make the jump. He shrugs. Light from his flashlight tossed into the corner of the room, glinting off the duo of axes he's drawn. If he's already down to his hatchets. One quick look around finds Dahl's three other weapons, each with a longer reach than the blades he now wields, scattered on the floor at the back of the room. He'd already used them and lost them. Useless because of the creatures crowding around the discarded weapons. Wisps of shadow. Ghostly beings with hungry eyes. Hollow. Desperate. Wraiths. They hover above the ground, the edges of their dragging gray forms avoiding the swords and firearm. The wraiths have felt the weapon's scarring bite too often to make the mistake of touching them again. I'm on my feet now, glancing back at Dolan. This dank room is windowless, cement walls cracked with weeds, and nearly every square inch of the cell crowded with starving wraiths. They're pressing us into a corner. What is this place? I peek over my shoulder to be sure my slender mirror is still leaning against the wall behind us. It is. I think it's an old storm shelter. Dolan's dark eyes never leave the wraiths moving toward us. I can see his shoulders shifting nervously beneath the navy blue hoodie he always wears. How many do you think there are? His grip on his hatchets tightens. Too many. I want to groan. If our mentor could see us now, he'd be wondering if we had absorbed any of the defensive training he pounded into our brains as children. We can always make another jump. Keep running. Running is the only way to survive. As long as I can move my feet, I can stay a step ahead of the race. Dolan stiffens, sweat plastering his thick, dark hair against his pale skin. We're always running, never getting anywhere. There's a decade of desperation in those two short sentences. The reason we're stuck here, on the run from these creatures. I know, doll. We'll find the treasure eventually. But we need to keep moving. Live to search another day. He raises a shoulder in agreement, his worn sweatshirt tight against the muscles that have hardened over the years of fighting. But his eyes are weary. I've seen that same look in Ulrich's eyes. Years ago, right before he disappeared, He said he'd been so tired of running, but he couldn't stop. Dalin thought he left us behind so that he could search without two youngsters slowing him down. I wasn't so sure, because the hollow look in his eyes told me he was running away from something, not toward it. We both turn in unison, facing the mirrors that promise a way out of this room. His is larger than mine, with a golden trim. In a few steps, I reach my mirror peering at the reflection that greets me there. It's not my reflection, at least not now. But it does hold a girl that is uncomfortably familiar. She has stringy blonde hair, caked in mud, sunken eyes, and a form so thin her ribs were clearly visible beneath her shirt. I couldn't escape from that life, no matter how hard I tried. And then one day, the mirror appeared, offering a way out. It was a chance. And I took it. Dolan's groan drags me out of the memory, and I spin around to see him a few steps ahead, just as the wraiths reach him. No. Stupid, stupid Melody. Always watch your back. He swings his hatchets with cool precision, but the leaping muscle in his jaw solidifies my suspicions. There's too many of them. I race back for him, knives in hand. But I'm too late. He's able to fend off the first several that reach him before a wraith sneaks up behind. A wavering hand reaches out and presses a palm against Dalin's shoulder. He gasps, his body lurching, and then he crumples. The wraith continues to lean in, wiry fingers clamping onto my friend. Dalin. That is what makes the wraiths so dangerous. They're in between, trapped in the passageway between mirrors feeding off of the living travelers who pass from one portal to another. Because of their ethereal nature, they are unable to little more than taste the real world, and so must suck our life force. The only way we have of fending them off are weapons made of thick, weighted material. Because of the ethereal nature of being trapped between the mirrors and the material realm, the wraith's bodies are scathed by anything physical. The heavier, more compact the object the more it hurts them. I heft my heavy knives, racing toward Dolan. I'm at my partner's side in a second, stabbing at any wraiths that get close enough, and the physical, earthly nature of my blade staves them off. A scream builds in my chest as I use one hand to grab him under his shoulders and defend us both with the other. Pulling us both to our feet, I let loose the scream, and it takes the wraiths aback. They freeze. And it gives me the moment I need to drag Dolan to my mirror and push his limp body through. The glass wavers like a sheet of water, and then he's gone. The glass stilling again. The chill of the wraiths pushes in on me as their ghostly hands reach out, seeking my life, my energy. Not today. Turning, I dive through the mirror, just as I feel one of their hands skim the edge of my boot. When the world stops spinning, I'm lying face down on a beach, sand in my nose, my hair, but I'm alive. And a beach could be worse. The mirrors tend to return us to the same areas at least once, before finding a new destination. It's not an exact science, more of a gut impulse. Pushing my weary body up, I search desperately for Dolan. I find him, still unconscious a few feet away. But we're not alone the wraiths have already found us here. They glide across the sand, like vultures flocking for a kill. Oh no, you don't. Stowing my mirror under my arm, I take the two steps to Dolan, grab his wrist, and pull him down to the edge of the water lapping at the beach. The ocean spreads out beyond us, rippling and full. The wraiths shriek, coasting even faster toward us. But as soon as my shoes sink into the water, they halt. The water of course. We've used the ocean to escape them before, as they can't stand the thick depth of water. But now, another use for the liquid is beginning to surface. As I drag Dolan into the shallows, I kick water at the wraiths with my soaked Nikes. The spray of salty liquid sizzles the minute it hits them, and the wraiths shriek in rage. I pull Dolan farther away from the shore until I find a sandbank that only brings the water up to my knees. I lower him down until his head rests just above the water, the ocean covering his sweatshirt and jeans. He moans, the water slowly bringing him to, but we're still in trouble. We've lost most of our weapons, and even if we are able to move again from this beach, it'll take him months to heal from having his vitality sapped by the wraiths. If we leave the water, I'll have to carry him. We won't get far. The wraiths are already filling the beach. They can wait forever while we starve. Dolan? I inch closer, resting his head in my lap as the salty water soaks my clothes. Can you hear me? Peyton. Loved. The beach. His words are mumbled, but I catch them. Peyton. His sister, dying of cancer because his family can't afford the treatments she needs. The reason he is here, braving these wraiths. Running an endless race none of us know how to win. We're seeking a prize, treasure to pay her medical bills, and money to give me a new life. But no one is waiting for me the way his family is depending on him. I study the wraiths one last time, a plan cementing in my mind. I've seen their reaction to water before. It coats their translucent bodies, holding them in place in the physical world and slowly disintegrating them. What if we've had a weapon against them this whole time, just never the opportunity to fully use it? Because if I couldn't force the wraiths into the water, maybe I could bring the water to them. Stroking his thick curls, I press them away from his face. You're going to see Peyton again, okay? Promise me you'll go to her as soon as you find this treasure. His breathing is still labored but I think I see a flicker of a nod. Setting him down so that his head is on a mound of sand holding him above the water, I turn to find my mirror. It's half submerged in the current, the coast reflected in its serene face. This better work. I grab the mirror, tuck it under my arm, and begin to swim. Stroking out away from the shore, I dive deep. The water pulls me down, exhausting my already tired muscles. The thick darkness hides the filtering sunlight, but still, I swim down, 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 till my lungs scream for air and my eyes bulge. I tip the mirror up. My skin is blue in the mirror's shadowed reflection. Keep going. I force my legs to kick, feeling the swath of bubbles around my ankles. My clothes are heavy with water as my entire body sinks. Deep enough. Pushing the mirror out in front of me, I let it hover in the water for a second, then wrap my hands around the top of its rim. Stealing myself and gripping till my knuckles are white, I swing my legs into the mirror. The momentum carries the rest of my body, except my hands still clutching the rim, and the next thing I know, I'm bursting through the mirror's face into fresh air. Sucking in a deep breath, I peer up to see my hands disappearing through the mirror, where they grip its rim on the other side. But the silver face is no longer visible. It's replaced by a torrent of water spilling out through the passage that has been kept open by my body, only being halfway through. Arching my back over the outpouring of water, I take another breath, hungry for all the oxygen I can force into my lungs. The water continues pounding at my back, but I finally look around. I'm in the cement room again, the mirror having fixed to the top of a wall, while I'm hanging a few inches off the floor. But hanging off the ground is the least of my worries. The wraiths are here. Hundreds of them, abandoning the beach and waiting for me. There's no way out. Just what I needed. The ocean continues to flood through the open portal, a waterfall spilling out of the circular passageway and around my body. I force my hands to keep their grip on the other side of the mirror, even as my body is thrashed about by the current but the thunder of the ocean pouring out around me is soon lost in the high-pitched screams of the wraiths as the water fills the room. They turn to flee, but it's too late. The water fills the room, cracks spiral up the wraiths' wispy forms, and they dissolve. My arms shake at the strain of keeping my grip on the mirror's rim, but I can't stop until every last wraith is gone. While over half of the creatures in the room have been destroyed, Several float near the top of the ceiling, avoiding the water. One of them turns its eerie gaze on me. Then, in a shrill voice, it speaks. You think you can escape? They can talk? That's new. But the wraith isn't finished. It drifts closer, voice so sharp it takes all my strength not to remove my hands from around the mirror's rim and press them over my ears. There is no escape from this! There is no end. There is no treasure. What? A cold lump has started in my chest. How do you know about the treasure? Another voice answers, a different wraith behind the first. Now I've caught all their attention. Because we were once just like you, always running, always searching, never finding. I gulp, the lump rising to my throat. The wraiths are even closer now, staying inches above the water, their voices echoing in the small space. We kept running until we lost sight of the prize. We lost ourselves, and soon there was nothing left but emptiness. Now we siphon energy off the living to survive. My mouth opens to scream, but no words come out, only utter horror, drowning me in a way the water never could. Is this what became of Ulrich? Or what will become of me? Of Dalin? All these years searching, only to become lost in between? Merely ghosts with no soul, no purpose? My fingers begin to slip. Empty? No. I tighten my grip so hard I can feel my knuckles bulging. I will never become like you, because I do know what I'm running toward. I have something worth fighting for. Someone who has a reason to live. And I will give him the chance to. I lean to the side, letting more water through. The wave rises, taking with it nearly every wraith. A few slam their hazy bodies against the roof, but they can't escape. Their wails tear at my eardrums. The water has now reached my chest and is still filling in. I should get out. But if I go back through the mirror, I'll still be underwater and if the mirror has been sinking as I've been on the other side, it may be too deep to swim back up. Dolan, say hi to Peyton for me. The whisper is almost a prayer as the water rises, now reaching my shoulders. My tired grasp begins to slip. I'm so tired of running. I'm ready to stop. I let go. But hands grab my wrists and pull. Up through the mirror and into the ocean depths. Dark eyes surrounded by thick ebony curls animated by the water are the first thing I see. Dolan. He's pulled me out of the portal, up to my knees. His grip is shaky, his face pale, attesting to his still-fragile health. But he's risked himself for me, nonetheless. Too bad it's for nothing. We can't swim back to the surface. It's too deep. Then... I see what he's holding in his other hand. His mirror. He motions to it, bringing the circlet closer, intending for me to swim through. I kick, pulling one leg out of the portal. I reach for his mirror as I pull out my other ankle. But it won't move. A shiver courses through my body. Weariness. Life drains from me. A wraith has caught hold of my ankle, and it's trying to get out, or take me with it. Eyes shooting wide, I turn to Dolan, desperately motioning downward to my ankle. That's when I realize how blue his face is, how weak his grip. It's taking every last bit of his strength to hold on to me. After being scourged by the wraiths earlier, I can only imagine how exhausted he is. I could wait for the wraith to dissolve, but we don't have time. If I don't get us through his mirror, I'll drown us both. I look back up at Dolan and reach for his hand. He's shaking his head as if he knows what I'm going to do. But he's the reason I'm doing this. Because floating there, so far underwater it's almost pitch black, I realize how meaningless this all is. We are about to die for a treasure we don't even know truly exists. It isn't till I'm faced with the possibility of death that I realize something. I've already found my treasure. For years, I've raced forward, trying to find an elusive chance at a better life, without ever seeing that I already have it in my grasp. I have a chance at a life I never had before. I'm not that starving girl in the alley, alone, lost, and hopeless. I now have a friend who'd even risk his life for me. I've learned how to provide for myself, and I've had adventures the rest of the world would never believe. I've been so busy chasing after a better life that I totally missed out on the beautiful life I already have. If I stop running, if I stand still, step out into the world and enjoy it, enjoy the moments. I stare down at my mirror again, my foot still half in, the sheen of its surface, the brightest thing this deep underwater. There's only one way to survive, to save this life I've already been given. I have to stop running, to give up the hope for a future I've always dreamed of and embrace the moments I already have. The breaths, the heartbeats, the hope that lies there too. Because the faster I run, the more I forget why I'm running in the first place. Now I remember. Twisting back toward my mirror, my left leg still protruding through. I raise my other leg and slam it as hard as I can into the mirror. It shatters and breaks into a thousand tiny pieces that shoot through the water, silver specks catching light. It'd be beautiful if we weren't drowning. Dalin grabs me and pushes me through his mirror. I fall out the other side, landing in a field of grass, dripping, gasping for air, but alive. Dahlin appears beside me a second later. He fights for air, but reaches for me. Are you alright? My body is shaking, but it's not from the cold. d Dolan? Unbidden tears fill my burning eyes. I can't feel my leg. He reaches for my left leg, the one trapped in the mirror when I shattered it. The leg is all there, but I can't feel anything below my knee. I fight back a sob. I don't- I'm not sure I know how to do this how to live. All I've ever been good at is running. That mirror was my whole life, and now I don't have either. How do I start over? Even though I don't regret it, this moment isn't perfect. It's unbearably hard. I'm broken. Dalin moves closer, his hand closing over mine, grounding me. You're not broken. Yes, I am. I can't feel my leg. You should leave. Go through the mirror again. You can't stay with me, especially not when I'm like this. Leaning on his elbow, he bends toward me, waiting until I catch his gaze. You are not broken. We'll figure out what to do about your leg. But even if you do lose it, nothing could ever make me see you as broken. You're beautiful and strong. Tears are dripping down my cheeks again but not from terror this time. I don't feel strong. I don't even know what to do next. He shrugs. We've both been running for so long that I don't think we even know how to stand still, how to live in the moment. But we'll learn. And we'll do it together. You'd really do that? Stay for me? He nods. Of course. What about Peyton? He shakes his head wet curls plastered against his forehead. She needs her brother more than she needs the funds. I can get a job, help out that way. But if I keep running, by the time I find the treasure, it may be too late. She only has so much time here, and I intend to enjoy it with her. I squeeze his hand back, my grip growing stronger. Leaning back in the silky grass, the blades damp from the water dripping off my clothes, I stare up at the sky above our heads. The sunlight filters down, warming my shoulders. Tilting my head, I send Dolan a soft smile. We'll embrace every moment, starting with this one. His dark eyes flicker with a new spark of hope that chases away the emptiness. Starting with this one. The crutch under my left shoulder makes round dents in the sand as I move forward, walking with Dolan across the beach. His shoulder playfully nudges mine now and then, but his eyes track my every movement. My left leg hangs limply. The ocean seems to have changed today, blue and flickering and happy, instead of a chaotic abyss that almost drowned us a few weeks ago. Or maybe it's me that's changed. There's one. I toss a smile at Dolan then make my way across the beach toward a tiny speck glistening in the sand. I land on my knees beside it and draw the sliver of clear glass from the sand. It almost looks like a smooth piece of sea glass, but I know better. It's a shard of the mirror I shattered. Only this shard has transformed into a treasure beyond my dreams. It's a sliver of diamond lying in my palm, one of several that Dalin and I have found. They first appeared when he smashed his mirror in that meadow after we decided to never again set foot in a portal. The glass of his mirror had shattered into hundreds of tiny diamonds, and when we returned to the beach where mine had broken, we'd only found more of the glistening shards, softened and rounded by the ocean. Enough to help his sister and get me an apartment. Enough to stop running. Because when we finally stopped chasing fantasies, when we finally gathered the courage to face a single moment, that's when the true treasure appeared. dolan kneels beside me, taking the tiny diamond and adding it to a bottle half-filled with other glimmering shards. And I smile, because even shattered pieces of glass, even shattered people, can become something beautiful. I hope you enjoyed listening to Sea Glass by Kara Swanson, narrated by Corinne Norton. If you want to read more by Kara, go to karaswanson.com to find more of her books. You can sign up for her newsletter there to get your own free copy of Sea Glass, as well as updates on upcoming books, like her newest Phoenix story, which comes out in 2024. This month, we are combining our November and December giveaway into a holiday giveaway, which includes a hardcover copy of Dust by Kara Swanson, which is the first book in her award-winning Peter Pan retelling duology. If you want a chance to win, go to findingfantasyreads.com slash giveaway to enter. If you know of a story that I should feature on Finding Fantasy Reads, whether it's your own or someone else's, I want to hear about it. Check out the contact page on the website where you can find an application form for authors, as well as a contact form for readers. Reader nominations are great because they're usually unbiased recommendations, and author applications also save me the time because I know they're authors who already want to be featured. I can't guarantee every nomination or application will be featured because there's only one per week, but applications and nominations do get read before the dozens of random ones downloaded on my Kindle. As always, I will have links for all of the sites mentioned in the show notes. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.